Well, let's dive into this stuff. A lot of stuff happening here in, in, into chapter 15, into chapter, um, all of chapter 16 this week. I'd love to begin, as I always do, with a narrative overview, kind of giving you guys a glimpse of, of everything that was going on in these chapters, if anybody didn't have a chance to go through all your content. So uh, this week, Paul begins and uh, finishes sort of the first half of his second missionary journey. So he will complete three missionary journeys here in the, the second part of the book of Acts. Um, he'll go on a fourth. Some people don't call it a missionary journey, but that's the, the, the journey to Rome where he will eventually be killed. Um, but this is his second journey. We're covering the first half of it. Uh, as you saw in the, in the passage, it sort of starts off with this disagreement with Barnabas. He and Barnabas were companions, uh, friends, uh, co-pastors there in Antioch, and they have this disagreement um, here at the start of the second journey. They did the whole first journey together, but now they're splitting up, and, uh, and Paul uh, chooses Silas to go with him on this second journey, and they uh, go back to the, to the churches they visited before. They sort of start off heading north. Uh, Barnabas and, and um, John Mark head, head back to Cyprus, which was the same route they took the first time. But Paul and Silas go, go north. They go uh, through Tarsus, which is where he was from. Uh, that's Cilicia, which is mentioned. Um, then they go to Derby and Lystra, uh, cities where they uh, had ministered on the first journey. Uh, while they're in Lystra, they pick up a young guy named Timothy, who uh, you probably are very familiar with. There's a few books in the New Testament named after him. Uh, significant character in the, in the New Testament, to be sure. Um, and then they start to travel uh, per the Holy Spirit. They try to go into Asia, so further east into modern-day Turkey. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't let them, so then they start to move north. They think they're going to go up into Bithynia. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't let them go that way either. So they're just sort of being funneled by the Holy Spirit. They end up in Troas, um, right there, very northern um, modern-day Turkey. And then, then Paul gets this dream uh, of the guy in Macedonia calling him over. Uh, and, and so they set sail. They, they end up in Philippi where the bulk of uh, our, our content takes place. They, uh, they meet these women down by the riverside who are, pl- who are praying together. Uh, Lydia is converted as they preach the gospel to these women. Her and her whole household are. They end up staying with Lydia. Uh, so now, now they have a place to stay. They continue to preach in the city. Uh, this, this fortune teller, this demon-possessed young girl, slave girl, uh, starts following them around and driving them crazy. Uh, Paul is very annoyed, it says. Um, so he, he casts the demon out, frees her, but that creates a big uproar. As you saw, there's a big riot of sorts in the city over it. Um, so Paul and Silas are thrown into prison as a result of that. Um, in prison, uh, God does this amazing thing. There's an earthquake. Their, their bonds fall off. They're able to walk out free. They decide not to, though, in order to preserve the life of this jailer who's over the, the prison. Um, when the jailer, jailer realizes what happened, he's about to uh, commit suicide there um, until Paul intervenes and, and, and the man is just deeply moved by the whole experience and just cries out those great words, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole household end up coming to faith as well. Um, and then you saw how it ends. They're, they're uh, uh, there in the prison. The, the guards try to release them quietly or the, the magistrates of the city because they were put there unjustly. There was no real cause for the uproar. Um, but uh, Paul refuses to leave quietly. He wants a, a public acknowledgement that, that nothing they did was illegal or wrong. Um, that they have the freedom to do this as a Roman citizen. And uh, they get that acknowledgement, which though they eventually depart, what it does is provide great protection to the church that remains. 
um, that what has started is not an illegal thing, but, but something that uh, can exist within the Roman Empire. So uh, that's, that's your narrative overview. That's sort of what plays out. Let's take a look at our themes. Um, as always, we're tracking these five, the big ones, uh, through the book. A work of the Holy Spirit. Did you guys see the Holy Spirit at work uh, a little bit here? Yeah, a lot of stuff here, a lot of significant things. I would say three big things that are worthy of paying attention to. Number one, the Holy Spirit guides the missionary work. Um, this is significant. I mean, Paul and Silas are, are setting out to plant churches, to do this great work of evangelism, proclaiming the gospel, uh, witnessing to Christ. Um, and they have plans, and they're making plans as they go. But what does the Holy Spirit do? He, he sort of interrupts their plans and keeps funneling them towards a destination that He has in mind. The Holy Spirit is blowing them in the direction that He has determined, and, and they're being very supple and sensitive to that, paying attention to what He's doing, and trying to follow Him as best they can. So that's one thing the Holy Spirit does in our lives, is, is lead us and guide us as we seek to proclaim the gospel and, and fulfill the work of God. Second way I see the Holy Spirit here is uh, He opens the heart of Lydia for salvation. Did you catch that line in verse 14 of chapter 16, talking about Lydia, they're proclaiming the gospel to her, and uh, it says, the Lord opened her heart. That is the, the biblical phrasing, that's a, the, the, the phrasing that's used here in this chapter for the concept of the work of regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that effectual calling, that drawing the Bible calls, where the Holy Spirit does something in us in order to enable us to respond to the gospel positively. So perhaps you haven't been taught that. Uh, I'd be glad at some other time, we don't have time this morning, to, to show you all of the foundations for that in Scripture. But the Bible's pretty clear. Salvation is from the Lord. It begins in His hands. And He does something in our hearts first in order to open our eyes to the beauty of the gospel, to the horrors of our sin, and to allow us to place faith in Jesus. That's what's happening there. The Holy Spirit is regenerating her heart. He is opening up her heart and, and convicting her of sin, calling her to be saved in that moment. So just a cool glimpse of that in practice. Certainly something that's theologically clear in the New Testament, but there you see an anecdotal evidence of it as well. Uh, the third way I see the Holy Spirit here is this miracle uh, that He does. He's done so many miracles in the book of Acts, but, but this earthquake, the, the chains falling off, uh, such a dramatic miracle. And guess who the miracle's for? It's actually not for the guys who are imprisoned. It's for the jailer. Uh, the Holy Spirit did all this to save that jailer, um, which is a really cool thought as well. So uh, really interesting things there with the Holy Spirit. One interesting note. Did you notice this? Uh, Luke refers to the Holy Spirit in verse uh, 5 or, or verse 6 as the Holy Spirit. But then in verse 7, what does he call him? Did you notice this? The Spirit of Jesus, which is interesting. So this plays into our understanding of Trinitarian theology, that, that God exists in three people. And the Spirit of God is both the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Christ. So the, the way we understand the Trinity is the, the Son is eternally begotten from the Father, and the Spirit is, He proceeds out of the Father and the Son. Uh, they've all coexisted since the beginning of time, since before time. They're eternally the Holy Spirit's eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Um, but in the relationships that God's designed within the Trinity, the Holy Spirit can justly be called the Spirit of Christ, just like He, he can be called the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit. So uh, just a cool little Trinitarian moment I didn't want to miss. Second theme, witnessing for Christ. That's a big one. I don't even think I need to cover that one. Obviously, they're proclaiming Jesus as they continue on their missionary journey. The third and fourth um, themes really didn't show up much. Development of the church, you don't see too much in this chapter. Uh, history of salvation, it's unity with the Old Testament. Um, we've seen that before quite a bit, but, but really not developed very much in this 
particular portion of the book. Um, but the fifth one is another big one that's seen, evangelization of the nations. Here they are continuing to evangelize the Gentiles, going out into the Roman world to proclaim the gospel. Uh, honestly, when they enter Macedonia, this is the first biblical record we have of the gospel going to Europe. So here it's all been Middle East, uh, you know, starting in Jerusalem there in Israel. It's moved up pretty significantly into uh, Turkey, moving north, heading towards Europe. It's, we, we know it's moved south into Egypt as well. Alexandria is mentioned in Acts part 1. But, but now you're seeing the gospel cross that sea, head into modern-day Greece, and, uh, and therefore into Europe. So really cool stuff playing out. All right, uh, let's get into our teaching content. Got four points for you, a lot of, a lot of stuff playing out, but four things I want to focus on. First, uh, I want to look at this fight between Paul and Barnabas. I know we talked about this in the questions, but the point I want to make that I see here is there is uh, such a thing as a healthy argument. Uh, so you probably have arguments if you're married with your spouse. Uh, you probably have arguments in the workplace. Sometimes it can feel like arguments are, all, are nothing but a bad thing. But I think in this uh, little glimpse at the end of chapter 15 between Paul and Barnabas, I think we're seeing a very healthy argument take place. So what, what played out here? Uh, in this passage, we're told a sharp disagreement arises between Paul and Barnabas. And what are they arguing about? John Mark, yes. So, and if you'll remember, we pointed this out in week one of our of our teaching time. But um, uh, John Mark was with them on the first missionary journey. He went down to Cyprus with them. But then, when they get up into modern day Turkey, I think Perga is the city. We're told John Mark went home. He left Paul and Barnabas, and he went back to Jerusalem. And so now, as they're about to head out on the second journey, uh, Barnabas brings up this idea: Hey, let's. John Mark wants to go. Let's bring John Mark with us once again. And Paul says, absolutely not. He abandoned us the last time. Do you not remember this? Uh, we're not taking him uh, with us. Paul felt that it was best not to bring him. Barnabas wanted to uh, bring him. We're not told why he quit on that first trip, but clearly it was significant enough for uh, Paul that he didn't want to bring him along. And for Paul, what's clear in this moment is what mattered most to him was faithfulness. Like what we're doing is not small. Planting churches, leading people, pastoring people. That, you know, not just anybody should do this. There should be qualifications. The New Testament you know, teaches that Paul would eventually write this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are qualifications for elders. There's qualifications for deacons. Spiritual leadership is not a small thing to be taken lightly. You shouldn't presume upon yourself to, to go and uh, be a leader in God's church. You should be qualified. You should be uh, serious. Faithfulness matters. Paul knows what's at stake in this calling, and he knows the seriousness of it. And so what matters to him is we have to be faithful. We can't bring along a guy who, who proved himself unfaithful. And yet what matters most to Barnabas? Like, I really identify with Paul here. I think his decision it makes a lot of sense to me. But Barnabas, what matter, matters most to him is forgiveness. Like, this guy deserves another shot. He messed up. Yeah, but so do all of us. The gospel teaches us that our failures and our sins don't have to define us. There is forgiveness for those things. We need to forgive him and give him another shot, which is totally consistent with Barnabas' character. If you missed uh, Acts part one, one of the things we, I think we took a whole week to focus in on Barnabas because he's such a significant character. Uh, what we're told is his, his real name is not Barnabas. It's, does anybody remember? Joseph. And the apostles in Jerusalem change his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement because he's such an encourager. This is the most encouraging guy you can imagine. A guy who just speaks life to you all the time. This is who Barnabas is. And guess what? When Paul, you know, who was Saul persecuting the church, when he gets dramatically saved and comes to Jerusalem, the apostles won't see him. 
They're like, this guy's still a spy. He's trying to kill us. He's, he's still trying to ravage the church and destroy us. Who's the one guy who gives Paul the chance? Barnabas. Barnabas goes and talks to him, finds out if he's sincere, and then brings him by Barnabas's credibility, by Barnabas issuing trust from himself to Paul, who probably didn't deserve it. Paul's able to meet the, meet the apostles. And, and then they still, it's, it's a problem. Paul's creating controversy. Everybody's trying to kill him. So they send him off to Tarsus because they don't know what to do with him. This is Acts chapter 9. And uh, in Acts chapter 11, uh, all the good stuff's happening in Antioch. And, and Barnabas goes up to help pastor this new church plant, help, help get it going. And he, it's, God's blessing it. It's growing like crazy. He needs some help. Who does he go look for? Paul, he's the one who go like Paul's ministry is all because Barnabas gave him second chances, which I love. I love. I see Barnabas's points too. So who's right? My my theory is they both are. Yeah, there's this is a healthy disagreement. They both have biblically grounded, Holy Spirit led, strong convictions that happen to conflict with each other. And what I want you to realize is this happens in the church sometimes. God will give you a strong conviction over an issue that's very sincere in your heart. And you will be sitting across the table from another believer who also loves God, who has an equally strong conviction, biblically grounded, uh, but, but your convictions are grinding against each other. And I just want you to know that that doesn't mean that the other, you know, when, when these moments happen, it can be tempting to call the other person a heretic. It can be tempting to call the other person, you're wrong, start personal attacks, destroy them. Uh, allow that divisiveness, those disagreements to become this cantankerous, you know, cancer in the church where you split apart and everything gets awful and you're throwing grenades at each other. You know, Paul and Barnabas actually handle this in a really healthy way. Did you notice how you know, Luke is the one writing this? Luke got his whole story from Paul, but look how like clinical the whole description is. Pa- Paul's not injecting all this inflammatory language, Barnabas was a horrible guy, and, and he's, he's, not a, he's, he's a son of uh, a Satan, and he you know, destroyed everything. No, he, he understands we disagreed about a serious issue, so we needed to go our separate ways, but it's okay. Or Barnabas will be in heaven too. Like, uh, I just think the way they model this disagreement is really healthy, and they don't allow it to detract from the mission of God. And in fact, do you notice the Holy Spirit actually allows mission to increase as a result of this? They have equally strong convictions. It's not a problem to separate for the work of God to continue if you can't coexist. This is honestly why we have different denominations today. And this is a good reason. If if you ever theologically get to a place in your life where you have a strong disagreement with the elders and the pastors, us here in Emmaus, our doctrines, our teachings, this is a good reason to leave a church. Uh, It's not, we wouldn't send you away and say, you know, you're going to hell. That's, that would never be our heartbeat if, if you have a sincerely held, biblically grounded conviction that's distinct from ours. You know, here at Emmaus Church, we baptize believers. We believe strongly in what's known as credo-baptism, baptism by immersion of, uh, of believers after they've placed their faith in Jesus. That that's what baptism is in the Bible. I believe that so strongly. I think baptism is the most important act of obedience in your life after you place faith in Jesus. It's not something small. It's not something insignificant. It's vital for your life. And I know brothers of mine who, uh, Christians, they'll be in heaven. In fact, some guys that are way more faithful to me and have enormous ministries bigger than, than me who completely disagree with me. They believe baptism is for infants and for the family of God and a seal of the covenant of God that's sort of a New Testament version of, 
of what we have as circumcision in the Old Testament. I disagree with them strongly. I couldn't worship in a church where I'm seeing uh, infants be baptized. I couldn't. It would be a searing of my conscience. Same way they couldn't worship here, where they see, uh, you know, they, they, if they had an infant, they couldn't baptize their infant. That'd be so hard for them when they have a different perspective on that. So you get what I'm saying? Like sometimes there's a, there's a such thing as a healthy separation in order for the work of God, the mission of God to continue. I think that's what we're seeing here. So just wanted to make sure you saw that. I spent way too much time there. I got to speed up. Um, but there we go. Second, second point. Uh, Second thing I see here that will be really uh, helpful, I hope, for most of us. The Holy Spirit sometimes leads in very confusing ways. <clears throat> so this route that Paul and Silas take, it just cracks me up when I read this. Um, you know, and I almost want to show it to you if I can go back to the map. Um, what they're trying to do they're, when they're leaving Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, they're trying to go east to Ephesus which ends up being a major hub for the church. So they're trying to go this way. That's, it's in their mind. You know, they're, they're going out on this journey. They have this dream to go. And we're, we don't know what happens exactly, but the words that Luke writes is they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word there. What does that mean? Did they get a dream? Did they get a word of prophecy? Did God speak audibly to them? We really don't know. But in some clear way, the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go that way. Was it, was it just a closed door? Was the road, were there robbers up ahead? And they're like, we can't go that way. I guess we got to go this way. I don't know. But clearly they were not able to enter. The Holy Spirit directed them north. So then they set their sights. You know, they, they build a new dream. God's uh, closed this way. Let's go north. Uh, and as they're heading up there, we're told the, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go forward. Again, what happened? I'd love more descriptions, Luke. It would be helpful if you'd clarify... <laughs> How, uh, how the Holy Spirit works because I've experienced moments like this where I have a plan and the door closes and you can't go forward and you're, you're just sort of confused. But, but they, they, they turn and, and because they can't go north. They turn, end up in Troas, um, which they don't stay there long. Then they get this dream, right? They get this dream. Uh, Paul has a dream in the middle of the night. But even that is confusing, right? It's not God in the dream telling them, go to Macedonia. This is my calling on your life. Instead, it's just a man, a Macedonian man, which, how did he know he was a Macedonian man? Did, did the Macedonians wear different clothes? I don't know. Uh, but regardless, he sees it, and the guy is calling him to come. And it says, notice in verse, um, verse 10, after the dream, they go immediately because they concluded that God had called them, meaning they weren't totally sure. They kind of had to, had to speculate and guess. I guess this dream means God's calling us to go that way. Just imagine for a moment that you're them. This... That was a hard few weeks and months as they're traveling this road. They're confused. Their, their, their dreams that they have aren't working out, or, or their, their plans aren't working out. They get these weird dreams trying to lead them forward. And I just can't help but laugh because I find that to be so consistent with the way the Holy Spirit leads in my life. It is often a confusing and winding road where you're not sure whether or not you're doing the right thing. And it's only after the fact that you end up saying, oh, that was absolutely the Lord at work. Uh, it was clearly God who, who did that dream. Uh, in the midst of it, uh, the Holy Spirit often doesn't lead as straight and as efficiently as we would like. It's often confusing. It's often acts of faith. Sometimes He destroys our plans. We have a desire to go this way and He won't let us. Sometimes He closes doors. That's negative leadership. Like you, you want this job, you want this opportunity, and no matter, and you'd walk through it if it was open, but it doesn't come together. It won't 
open. Your, your plan won't work. That's, that's the Holy Spirit leading in a negative way, sort of not telling you where to go, but telling you where not to go. It's a, it's a frustrating moment. You'd rather he just you know, tell you the destination. It would be so easy if he was like, hey, Paul, get to Philippi. That's where the work is. But he didn't. He took him on this winding path. Uh, sometimes he leads in unclear ways with these dreams, just like, just like we talked about. Um, and sometimes even when you end up in the place, it ends up being difficult. Notice how hard it is for them in Philippi as compared with other cities that we've seen in, on the first journey. There's no synagogue that they preach in, which means this city probably doesn't have enough Jews to have its own synagogue. Um, on, on top of that, as they're preaching, they, they just find this group of women to preach to. Um, and as they're preaching, there's no big crowd that gathers as it has in other places. Um, in fact, the only crowd that gathers is the crowd that wants to kill them in the next, next verses. The, the fruit's not really there. They're just being bothered by this demon-possessed girl. Like, I imagine they're feeling, did we miss it, Lord? Like, this is not as fruitful as I expected. Did you, was, was the dream just me? Was it not really you? You know, it's confusing in the midst of it. But this is, uh, the point I want you to see is this is sometimes how the Holy Spirit works. At no point do I think Paul and, Barnab- or Paul and Silas were outside of God's will. Very clearly, he had salvation for Lydia. He had salvation for this uh, Philippian jailer. God had purposes for getting them to Philippi. But just know, sometimes it's a winding path that's confusing and you're not totally sure. I don't know why the Holy Spirit does it this way, but he does it this way. Again and again, I think if I could speculate, I think it's to make us dependent upon God. He doesn't give us all the answers at once, probably because it would freak us out and keep us from ever going. But he slowly teaches us to follow him faithfully by giving us step by step what we need in the moment. Um, So when you're following the Lord, respect the closed doors. Honor the interrupted plans. Trust the Lord even when you don't know where he's leading you. Uh, Beg him. Be men of prayer who keep seeking him. Uh, and begging him to, to lead you. Um, and when things are unclear and painful, keep your eyes on him. He's not off his throne. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to lead you. Uh, don't assume that God's not there or that you've missed him. Sometimes, and in my experience, very often, the Holy Spirit leads us in very confusing ways. Um, and I see that here for Paul and Silas. I'd love to have a conversation with Paul about this in heaven. Like how, how frustrating was missionary journey number two? Because this seems very frustrating to me. Um, all right, third point here. Uh, God has purposes for our pain. Uh, God has purposes in our pain. Uh, I want to zero in on this prison moment here at the end of chapter 16. You know, they, they're having this worship moment. Uh, they're praying and they're singing. But that's really astounding to me that they're doing this because this, without question, was a really painful moment for them. I've just described sort of the, the lack of fruit that you've seen in Philippi so far. I imagine emotionally they're really discouraged at this moment. Physically, don't forget they were just beaten with rods that day. So they probably have open wounds, they're bleeding, they're bruised, maybe they have a concussion. Like this is not an easy moment. They might be singing, but they're probably singing like hard songs. Like, you know, great is thy faithfulness. And they're using every bit of their hearts to try and say those words out loud. This is a hard moment for them. Uh, Spiritually, you know, again, frustrating. They haven't seen the fruit that they would love to have. So this is a hard, painful moment for them. Yet look what God does. You know, by leading them into this jail cell, He can then work the miracle of the earthquake. And after the miracle of the earthquake happens, He can then uh, pull off their chains in the midst of that, and they can do the miracle of not leaving, which is huge. If, you, if you're in that moment, that painful moment, and the Holy Spirit opens the jail, jail cell and has the chains fall off your hands, what are you doing? And what am I doing? 
the Holy Spirit wants us free. God wants us out of here. He literally worked a miracle so that we could leave. But what's in Paul's heart in this moment? That jailer will die if we leave. That Philippian jailer, who we've been called to come and help, will die and kill himself if we leave. I'd rather have the chains than to have a guy go to hell who doesn't know God. You know, his commitment to the mission of God. God works a miracle. I think that's the Holy Spirit working that miracle in Paul to get him to stay in that moment. Somehow he convinces all the prisoners to stay, which is amazing. And through all those miracles, then the jailer gets saved. God had that enormous, glorious purpose in the midst of all that pain uh, of this of this guy and his whole household being saved. Don't miss it. God has purposes for our pain. In the midst of our hardships, in the midst of, of, of the difficult roads He takes us on, in the moments in our life when the Holy Spirit so confusingly has, we're trying to follow God, but everything hurts. It's hard. It's difficult. Don't underestimate what God might be doing in the midst of that. God uses pain again and again in the Bible for His good purposes. I mean, we follow Jesus, right? Who followed God perfectly, was perfectly obedient, and what was the height of his purpose? What was the height of God's purpose for his life? Yes, the cross. The most agonizing experience possible accomplished the greatest redemption that could ever happen. God has purposes in the midst of suffering. He's ordained us to suffer in order to experience those things. So trust him when it gets painful. God has purposes for it. Nothing's wasted in his hands, which brings us to the last one here. Probably the biggest... um, Sorry, I'm, I'm behind on my notes here. Uh, the biggest point that I think is on display in this passage is God is sovereign in salvation. He's sovereign over salvation. Um, this is a winding road for sure, without question, for Paul and Silas. Uh, it, it's confusing, I'm sure, for Paul when him and Barnabas split up. They've been bros. They've been traveling together, doing this incredible work together. God's been blessing it. It's a confusing moment there. It's uh, a confusing moment as they're on this winding road. It's confusing as the work in Macedonia in Philippi doesn't really work out very well. It's probably confusing as they're beaten and imprisoned. But in the midst of all of that, God worked all those miracles, the Holy Spirit doing all this stuff so that Lydia could come to know Christ, so that this Philippian jailer could come to know Christ, that their households would get saved, so that a church could be born in Uh, Philippi that would eventually endure. We know Paul eventually writes a letter back to this church. That's what the book of Philippians is in your your Bible. So the work that started, even though it was slow starting and difficult to begin, God did something profound in that. Uh, And it just goes to show God knows what He's doing. The Holy Spirit knows how to save people. The Holy Spirit knows how to move us around and and bring the gospel to the the people He's called to receive it and, and to save them. God is sovereign in salvation. So in the midst of your own life, I'd call you to think about who are the people that God might be in the midst of saving right now through you. You know, you might be frustrated with your career. You might really want a new job. But who are the coworkers sitting right next to you that God in His sovereignty has, on a winding road, put you in that office, put you in that cubicle, put you in that role so that you can be a light of the gospel to them? Who's the, the jailer that you might be interacting with today? God does this. He's sovereign over salvation, and He has appointed a very clear means of salvation in the book of Acts. It is His people proclaiming the gospel by which the gospel goes forth. He doesn't proclaim it audibly from the sky to this jailer. He could have. He could have saved the jailer by God Himself showing up in front of him and and proclaiming the gospel. But He's appointed that the gospel will go forth through the proclamation of the saints. So family, where, where are you in that? What salvation is God wanting to accomplish through your life? Be sensitive to it. 
be faithful to it. And, and whatever painful circumstance you're enduring right now, don't underestimate what God might want to be doing through it. Be, be faithful to follow Him. Be faithful to look to Him uh, as you seek to, uh, to fulfill His mission. Um, that's everything, guys. I finished early today by a whole minute. That's impressive. Um, let me pray for us. We'll be all done. God, we thank you for the example of Paul in these chapters. I cannot help but to uh, place myself uh, in this story and to feel the frustration that I know I would feel every step of the way. The confusion, the, um, the difficulty of, of knowing what you're doing, Lord. Sometimes we just wish you'd give us the whole plan. We wish you'd give us the destination. We wish you would give us the, the, uh, the reasons why it's painful and the uh, you'd give us these glorious moments where we can see how it all makes sense. But, but very often, Lord, you, you don't explain yourself. You lead us down these confusing roads and we're left to trust you through it all. So I pray for a trust for my own heart and the own, my, my own winding journeys that, that I walk through, Lord. And I pray for these men. I pray just a deep sense of trust in you would develop in their hearts for the ones who are feeling confused and, and, and lost and broken and feel like perhaps you've abandoned them. Father, would you remind them that you are very clearly on your throne and that pain does not mean that, uh, that your purposes are, are broken. In fact, sometimes pain means your purposes are happening right then and there, Lord. Would, would you teach us to be men who are faithful to keep looking to you, to keep clinging to you, to keep begging you to work in our lives, Lord? Would, we, would you open our eyes to the men and women around us who need your gospel and would we be faithful witnesses to Christ and, and proclaim uh, the glories of the gospel uh, each day as you lead. Uh, Holy Spirit, you blow us where you will, and we will be faithful to proclaim. Make us into men of your word who are faithful in these ways. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, thank you. We'll see you next week. Have a good day.